0: Hi everyone, Locky Mansell here. Thanks for downloading the Checkered Flag Chat Review podcast for Rounds Two of the High Tech Oil Super Series. This episode of Checkered Flag Chat is proudly brought to you by the Double who have been expanding their motorsport sanctioning activities all over Australia, not just in circuit racing, but in other disciplines as well. It was a massive weekend for the high-tech oil super series, achieving the milestone of the first appearance of any national motorsport series outside of supercars at Hidden Valley. As always, there was plenty to talk about, so let's get into the debrief for a hot, action-packed, and at times controversial weekend in the Top End. to review all of the action from Hidden Valley. It's a very big welcome back to the host for the High Tech Oil Super Series TV coverage, Matt Kavanagh. How are you going, Matt?
1: Mate, I'm absolutely fantastic. I'm recovering from last weekend and how fantastic was it to be up in Darwin, Northern Territory. It was hot, but uh, we're recuperating at home and getting ready for the next round already.
0: And the other man who's very busy getting ready for the next round is the Benalla Auto Club general manager who also oversees the High-Tech Oil Super Series, Stephen White. Hey, Stephen, welcome. Lockie,
2: Matt, how are you both? Yes, uh, I'm very much the same as Matt, recovering from uh, the heat, but what a great weekend. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's just, uh, to be honest, it feels like an accomplishment that we were looking towards and working towards for such a long time and we've done it, so a uh, pretty proud moment for uh for our group, I think.
0: The heat was one of the big talking points over the weekend, and teams adopted various countermeasures to try and combat the hot temperatures. We saw an assortment of different contraptions behind the pits, everything from portable air conditioning units to cool rooms. So one team, which was the Steve and Michael Coulter Father and son team even had an inflatable swimming pool. The problem with that was that because it was so hot, by the end of each day, it was more like a hot bath. So <laughs> I saw that each morning they would get to the track, they would empty the water out, they would refill it and, uh, and go from there. But that was very uh, entertaining to see the different methods that teams were using to try and beat the heat.
1: I really love the fact that when we were walking back on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, I should say, it's a bit bit different there with a long weekend is after the endurance, I see Jackson Rice and Tyler Everingham walking towards a cool room. And I say, what are you doing guys? And they say, we're going for a debrief. And they open the cool room and there's their uh, engineer in there with a laptop open. So they're actually going into the cool room to do their debrief from the race.
2: (laughs) How how awesome. I mean, look, uh, some of the other drivers were talking about the, the significance of a cool suit and um, guys like Brad Gartner, et cetera, were concerned and worried, you know, they didn't have a cool suit. A lot of them did. Um, But he actually spoke about the fact that, and he's a fit young fella. but he spoke about the fact that once you're out there in the race car, you didn't notice. So, so he and Max uh, Vidal didn't, both didn't have cool suits. So I think that was um, whether or not they'll do that next year. I'm not sure, but they were certainly um, concerned about it. But once they were in the car, they were good to go. And, and they rehydrated as quickly as they could as once they were finished in the car. So, yeah, various uh, ideas of how they're going to rehydrate or how they were going to cope with the heat.
0: So that's uh, uh, pretty unique, which is great. A lot of people were jumping into swimming pools at the end of each day when they got back to their hotels as well. But one pool that nobody was going to be jumping into was the uh, the crocodile pool at the Crocosaurus Cove attraction that we visited on Thursday afternoon to feed and hold some crocodiles. That was a bit of fun, wasn't it, Matty?
1: No, we went down there. We got to see Bert, who was in Crocodile Dundee, and uh, a few of the drivers got to feed him as well, and I was actually quite surprised, being a previously Northern Territory, and is that we went down there, we held the croc, I was expecting everything there, and a few of the drivers were nervous about it. But they got over that okay. It was when we bought the snake out that we saw a couple of them not real keen. (laughs) either. That was was the interesting part. They did not want to hold the snake. And I think by the end of it, Josh Haynes actually wanted to go for a swim with the croc. So maybe next year, if we head back there, we can get him in that croc tank.
0: The snake was... uh, (laughs) I think Nathan Hearn had it wrapped around his neck at one stage. And it was, I think, only after that that he actually asked the... um, the zookeeper or, or how you would describe the, the guy that was leading us around if the snake was actually venomous. I would have wanted to know the answer to that question before going anywhere near it.
1: Look, Brad Gartner was one that did not want to touch it. He was definitely a go- We got him to in the end, but he was very nervous about it.
0: I, I think one of the things I've ruled though, so we did the crocodile tour. Some of the guys did a fishing tour as well. On Thursday night at Mindwell Markets, we had the cars on display and we did a and a session with the drivers. Overall, it seems like the hospitality from the Northern Territory community was, you know, really warm and friendly and welcoming. How did you find things, Stephen?
2: Oh, look, I, I, exactly right. I mean, we were very much welcomed with open arms and everybody was very keen to see what this was all about. I suppose the biggest thing with our series is that, uh, you know, the, the obvious comparisons to other series that, you know, may or may not turn up in the Darwin with now two-door cars and um you know we obviously have the comparison of large race meetings and, and we've all spoken about the various things around speedway and Charity of thunder etc etc that they do up there drag racing etc so it was a unique and a new uh experience and people wanted to see what it was all about so the thirst for information was interesting and but we were welcomed with you know nobody could do you know people couldn't do enough for us really to be honest and uh when I was talking to some of the other guys that were traveling, as well as obviously the TA2 guys, but some of the other categories, they were so impressed with the welcome and, and, and if you like, the hospitality and camaraderie that was amongst all of the competitors because they just wanted to see something you know new and and, in, and enjoy other people in, you know, competing in motorsport at, at Hidden Valley. So that, along with um, you know, accommodation houses and various other eateries and, and, and even suppliers to the track, uh, I just found it you know it was it was actually a, very much a, a pleasant experience to make sure that people um or we were receiving people's um you know support around what we were trying to do there which was great
0: the event ran with obviously a very high level of support on the ground from NABSC, the North Australian Motorsport Club and we saw a lot of local competitors running, particularly in the Combined sedans and in the Excels. What was the response to the event like from those local drivers and teams?
2: Yeah, so obviously those guys, uh, you know, get to run their four or five race meetings a year. NAMSC itself, so North Australian Motorsports Club, we're, we're really our facilitator of officials um, and people on the ground. But, but the again, the enthusiasm around their membership group uh, led to some of their members obviously running in the in their local category. So, NTXLs and obviously uh, combined sedans, which had, you know, a bit of a mixture of everything. Commodore Cups obviously still a thing up there, and, and certainly a category that even people like Marcus Zakanovich was pretty keen to see what those cars were still doing up there. I think you'll find that, again, the club itself was very keen to assist, and we. We couldn't have done it without them. We we literally, the the whole process, the whole program was put together based on the fact that High Tech Oil Super Series is sanctioned by AASA. AASA is growing. We wanted to continue to put our footprint in in the Northern Territory. And we're working with NAMSK as well as other clubs, you know, to to help facilitate race meetings and, and, and events up there. So it absolutely made sense for us. And I did note you spoke about the Mindel Markets, which we got there a bit later in the evening because earlier in the evening we were doing some, you know, discussion and training and information with officials that were going to help for the weekend. So it was pretty much, a, a, if you like, encompassed various reasons as to why we did this. And, and the Namsk officials were fantastic, uh, new to them, um, and we're giving them an opportunity to, to have a go at a national, a national series outside of potentially even the hope of them doing, say, a supercars event. Or, or any of the other major events that are up there in, in a motorsports sphere. So you talk about what support from the competitors. On Saturday, you know, things like the bins were getting emptied and other things like that. And and the Namps, senior NAMPS committee had asked their competitors that were running, could they put a, a, a group together and go and empty the bins, or could they put a group together to do this and do that? And that was all their competitors. So very much hands-on, working in unison with a lot of our senior people, which is great. And just to make everything happen, you know, and, and that's pretty much why um, events like this are so pleasing once they get done and they get off the ground and they continue to operate. It's just the fact that behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff happening that um, nobody would ever know. And, and it's not about it. You know, it's not about that. It's more about trying to manage the event um from behind the scenes and be enthusiastic about it.
0: One of the other examples that we saw of that involvement from the competitors was during the HQ Holden Crocodile Cup endurance race, they got the Hyundai XL competitors to stand in the pits as pit lane observers and make sure that the HQ guys were completing their pit stops correctly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, same same thing, you know, that was that was put forward by uh, some of the senior members of NAMPS. Can you do this? And they were all enthusiastic in doing it. And, and it was just, again, I suppose it was all you know, uh, one for all and all for one, really. And, and a lot of the stuff around the circuit, uh, to me, was quite pleasing. From our point of view, we're involved in everything and as, do as much as you can. And, and uh, uh, at one point there, we were delivering lunches. At one point there, we were in a recovery ute. And you got to see those those guys and girls and how enthusiastic they were. Around what they were seeing, and and to be honest, I don't think any of them stopped talking about TA two how impressive they were, and they hadn't seen them. You know, they just hadn't seen them before. So to see them there and their enthusiasm around wanting to be around them, I will say this: um, the biggest, most significant comment that I got from officials after the event was how accessible the TA two drivers were, um, and how welcoming they were when, and how proud they were of the cars they were competing in. So. I think from an overall event, how many you know, expectation and the event working well, it was actually quite an eye opener for those people to see that it's not quite, it's not very insular, it's very open. And, and I think that's something that we'd like to continue with, that theme is accessibility, you know, and, and I think on our website, our, our mantra is pure, is pure racing and that's what it's all about.
0: So moving forward then, Stephen, what do you see as the future prospect for the high-tech oil super series at Hidden Valley? And do you see a way of, like, obviously we had TA2 there on the weekend, which was a headline national category, but for all of the other categories, the bulk of competitors were locals. If we're going to have more high-tech oil super series events at Hidden Valley in, in future seasons, how do we get other national categories like Mazda RX-8 Cup or Legend Cars or more interstate competitors from Super TT to make the trek up to Darwin? Look,
2: to to make this event work for us and obviously have other categories go there, and I, I can certainly assure you that I've had other categories already say to us, hey, that looked great. We want to be there. How do we get there? How do we do this? Uh, we're obviously going to need support from from local government. We're going to need support from... Uh, various, you know, I suppose, uh, sectors of the of the Northern Territory management as far as the circuit goes, and also then, you know, working with NAMSK as well again. But significantly, one year down, we've learned a lot about making sure how we can get cars there. We've learned a lot about how to manage the event there. Um, yes, it is a long way away, but we understand what we have to have and what we have to bring and, what, and who we have to work with. So I think for next year and beyond... Um, I can certainly tell you that it's absolutely doable. It's absolutely something that we will we would like to make sure we have in place very shortly, but we'll probably just make sure that we've got all of the ducks in a row to get those other categories up there. You're absolutely right. TA2 was the was probably something that needed to happen uh, as, as a headline category. We'd obviously offered them series that in, you know, incorporated, uh, if you like, Hidden Valley, et cetera, et cetera. And so that had to be delivered. With the support categories, whilst there was some interstate has traveled there, you're right, it was mostly bolstered by locals. So our our work is to make sure that the card has has various other national level categories that we have as our core on the series to make sure that we bring a complete and utter circus to the, to the uh, Hidden Valley Circuit and, and Northern Territory in general. So, you know, it's 12 months time uh, I would envisage that an event up there will be at a very similar time. Um, so, yes, we'll make sure we've got plenty of time under our under our uh, belt, if you like, and make sure that we get things in place really early. This year, because of, as you know, the significance of uh, releasing this series and putting this series in the final, uh, if you like, elements of this series into late November, early December, maybe potentially it was always going to be difficult to get everyone to travel. Uh, but now we understand what we need to do and how we need to do that. And, and look, even even to the point where within the weeks leading up to the event, we had various um, transport companies come to us and say, oh, for next year, we should do this. For next year, we can do that. So there's already the ball rolling where where there's things that will fall into
0: place. Looks like there's some exciting possibilities ahead. But I, I do think, Stephen, that you and Shannon Jones, the, the uh, event secretary and the entire team – at the Bedell Auto Club should be congratulated because it was a big milestone for the club to be able to host an event that far away. It's the first time that, you know, I mean, obviously we've, we've had the high-tech oil super series and in its previous guys, the AMRS traveling nationally, but it's the first time that the entire circus has traveled so far. So for the event to be pulled off and pulled off successfully, I think a big congratulations to you and the rest of the team. Yeah,
2: appreciate that. I, I, I probably, in some instances, lucky like get the easy job or I get to talk about it or at least um, uh, come up with these blue sky ideas and then other people make it happen, I suppose, in the background. Shannon, certainly you mentioned Shannon Jones. Shannon worked tirelessly on this particular event and has worked on this particular event um, significantly across the last few months. But the whole series in general, you know, putting those nuts and bolts together that need to work. As you already remarked, the our Auto Club committee, there was various members of the committee there and, and they were there for purely the event support. Um, a couple of them were lucky to compete, but a couple of them were there for the purposes of making sure that happened. I must mention on the ground, Michael Fitzgerald, who who works for our group, was there a week or so early. He'd been over there and was very active in transporting and doing all of the things that needed to happen and assist the guys on the ground there well before we got there. So people like him and and, and other committee members, Richard White and, and Mark Bryant, uh, Gary Quigley, Ross Wood, you know, they are all there to support and make sure that this is this is something that was going to work great for the future and 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 touch base with the relative you know government dignitaries that, that were there on the Monday so significantly for us yes you're right milestone something that we can be very proud of and um, uh, another uh, if you like uh, uh, another thing that makes this series uh, the great series and the great platform that it is.
0: Stephen, thanks very much for joining the Checkered Flag Chat podcast and looking forward to the next round of the series at Queensland Raceway. No
2: right. Thanks, Lucky. Thanks, Matt.
0: Thanks, Steve. Do you need insurance and sectioning for your next motorsport event? Talk to the Australian Autosport Alliance, the provider run by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. Whether it's a circuit race meeting, speedway competition, rally or off-road event, the AAASA crew will guide you through the entire process from organisation to completion and make your experience a stress-free one. Head to AAASA.com.au to learn more. A S A giving motorsport a choice. All right, time to talk about the actual racing that went on at Hidden Valley and plenty to talk about, Matty. starting off with the TA2 Muscle Car Series framed by Tech, Six races for the TA2 cars over the course of the weekend. But in the end, by virtue of consistency but also very impressive speed, three race victories. They only finished one out of the six races outside the top four. It was Dylan Thomas and Tim Brook who took out the inaugural TA2 Kings of the North Crown and picked up $20,000 worth of prize money.
1: They were a very strategic team, weren't they? They had this spreadsheet going in the pit bay. They'd marked off every win they'd got, how many points, and they knew the exact position they had to come into that last race. Now, speaking to them afterwards, they said, all we had to do was finish. We knew that. We already had done the points in our spreadsheet, made sure everything was okay. So they chosen a different strategy in the final race just to stay out of trouble because what we did see throughout the race was a lot of bump and grind. Uh, I tell you what, the spares truck was very, very busy over the weekend, lucky because we saw panels, we saw the crash bars, all sorts of things like that. So look, uh, the co-drivers were uh, very excited, I think, to be out in these
0: TOT muscle cars, a lot of them that didn't have a lot of experience in them. You're right. There was a lot of panel contacts, particularly on, on the Saturday, and I will come to that, but just... To touch on the different strategies, so in the sixth and final race of the weekend, Dylan Thomas and Tim Brook, they started on pole position. They chose not to pit under a safety car period where most of the rest of the field did choose to pit, which meant that they then had to take their compulsory pit stop under green flag conditions, which put them well back in the field, and it actually dropped them a lap down. Now, like you said, they'd done the number crunching. They worked out that all they had to do was finish the race. So they took a, a very conservative option to to stay out and, and pit later than everybody else. And Dylan Thomas explained that to me at the end of the race. But I'm just wondering if that was actually the smartest call. I get that they were focused on the 20 grand, but it drops them outside the top 10, that decision not to pin under safety car. Dylan Thomas is in the championship lead after the weekend. If we get to the end of the year and he's still in contention for the championship, the points that they lost in that race could actually prove to be critical. So I, I just it was a very conservative strategy. I get they were thinking about the prize money and the weekend result, but when you look at the bigger picture, I, I think that they might have been better off pitting under that safety car like everybody else.
1: Yeah, possibly could have been. I think Tim Brooke did a fantastic job in the car, and they just wanted to uh, keep it out on track. If you look at a few of the previous races, like you say, we'll get into that shortly, there were some cars that just caught up in the mix there, unfortunate racing incidents, so they don't get to finish the race, and that's what they were really focused on was finishing the race. I know Dylan Thomas said it was really hard not to go out there and try and win. They really had to hold themselves back and when he got in the car, but they also spread the load. I mean, 35 laps... Everyone pitted the, on the 15th lap there. That was the opening of the, pit bay, of the pit strategy window. And that meant they still had to do a lot of laps in the end too. 20 laps in the heat out there. I know it's a lot of them survive without a cool suit and things like that. So it was quite doable. And Monday wasn't as hot as the previous days. But they shared the driving. So they really did split that up. And we saw him make a number of manoeuvres in the last few laps there with drivers that were getting a bit tired, tyres that were going off. I think it just kept his cool, kept him out of trouble and got the finish there. It may, like you say, bite him at the end of
0: the season. Is Dylan Thomas the most underrated driver in Australia at the moment? Because when you look at Dylan's career, he's not what you would describe as a professional racing driver. He's in his mid-40s. He's never raced professionally. It's always been recreationally and, and for fun. But check out this list of categories that he's won races in. Formula V. New South Wales Production Touring Cars, the Australian Production Car Championship, the Toyota 86 Series, Porsche Carrera Cup, and now TA2. I mean, that's to win races in that number of categories, That that's, that's a list there that would be the envy of a lot of professional racing drivers, let alone an amateur driver like Dylan.
1: I suppose he's not a common name that comes up for... People who follow motor racing and are fans of motor racing. It's not a mainstream name uh, for people who are familiar with racing. So I definitely think he is underrated. And um, you've got to take into account when you talk to him that he's a very smart racer as well. So he he understands that a championship is not won in one round. It's won over six rounds this year. Um, and he's looking already towards that. So he wants to bring the car home. Obviously, you know, the more you hurt the car, the more money you've got to spend the more stress it places on you with your family and your work life as well. So he's sort of found that nice balance, I think, and and that's what makes him underrated.
0: The other thing about Dylan is when you talk to him, he's very self-critical. He, he's extremely modest. He'll be the first one to talk down his own performances on the track. Uh, and he, he's very, like I, I say, very analytical and, and very self-critical of his own driving. I remember back in 2017 when he raced in the Toyota 86 series, which is one of the the most competitive national categories that we've got here in Australia and a breeding ground for a lot of drivers who've progressed to to very top level of motorsport in supercars. In 2017, Dylan finished third in the championship and he beat a lot of drivers who've gone on to, to race in supercars. But I remember I spoke to him at the end of that season. He said, yeah, Third, it was a good result. But the only reason we finished third is because we had less bad rounds than most of the other drivers. So he's one of those, you know, very modest drivers who doesn't like to talk himself up, but, you know, obviously continues to get the job done on the racetrack. So he's, like I say, he's launched himself into title contention. In fact, let's have a look at the point standings uh, after the weekend. So Dylan Thomas... Now leads the championship on 401 points ahead of Jackson Rice on 396. Nicholas Bates, who teamed up with Josh Haynes on the weekend, he's moved up to third on 368, ahead of Haynes on 357. Lee Stibbs, who was the championship leader heading into the weekend, he's fallen all the way back to fifth position. It was a pretty tough weekend for. The expat Englishman, he's on 334 points. And then it's Graham Cheney, 319. Michael Coulter, 318. Hayden Jackson, 299. Christopher Formosa, 278. And Brad Gartner 273 points. rounding out the top 10. So, all of a sudden, Dylan Thomas, not only is he a championship contender, he's now the championship leader. After the first two rounds,
1: yeah. Again, I think after round one, well, there was a few names in there like Lee Stibbs, where at the start of the season probably wasn't hyped up and came out of round one leading the championship. Dylan Thomas, the name was mentioned; it was sort of sitting there in the background. But he's just so analytical, like you say, and he's strategic in what he does. He's definitely a title contender here in 2023 in the High Tech All Super Series. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Imagine what he'd be like to have as a co-driver in the in, uh, something like Bathurst. I reckon he'd be a great person.
0: Yeah, I, I think by his own admission, he's probably a bit past the stage of a Bathurst 1000 co-drive. We've definitely seen him in the other Bathurst Endurance races, the 12-hour and the 6-hour. But he's one of those drivers where you, you kind of ask the question, if he'd started when he was a bit younger, could he have made it all the way to the top level? And, and the answer to that question, I think, is, is quite possibly... Yes. Uh, Let's talk about some of the other results from the races. So in the two driver A sprint races, it was Nathan Hearn who came back from America for a one-off drive in TA2, who won both of the driver A sprint races. The driver B sprint races went to Timmy Brook. And then the final race of the weekend as a result of that, Alternate pit strategy for Thomas and Brooke. It ended up going to the the Mark Crutcher and Jordan Cox entry. It was a stunning charge to the front of the field by Jordan Cox at the end of that final race. And we've seen Jordan's prowess in front wheel drive cars, including improved production and also TCR, but he demonstrated on the weekend that he can drive a rewell drive car all right as well.
1: Well, is there anything you can't drive really with Jordan Cox? He was super impressive on the weekend. I know there was a couple of little incidents there where he copped a penalty in, in one of the races, but how fast was he? And it was a bit surprising when we were up there commentating live as well, because they come in for the pit strategy. Uh, he'd been with Crutcher, they were sort of midfield. And and all of a sudden, as people came in, he just made his way lap after lap, just gained another position, another position, and all of a sudden he's out in front and he really dominated once he got out in clean air. He, he gelled with the car, I think. He enjoyed it. Like, he was really happy when we saw him after the races and he was having a good time driving the ta 2 So wouldn't it be great to see him get a ride next year?
0: In a full-time capacity, it, it certainly would. And it was just unfortunate for he and Mark Crutcher that they didn't finish the first of the twin driver races because they got caught up in an accident with Andrew Fisher at the safety car race start, which uh, actually triggered a red flag in that race as well. So that was one of numerous incidents that occurred over the weekend. A couple of others that I want to get your thoughts on, Matty. So in that first of the twin driver races on the last lap, we saw a collision between Tim Brooke and Paul Manuel, the New Zealander who was driving alongside Nathan Hearn in turn number one. That resulted in Manuel spinning off the track. After the race, both Paul Manuel and Nathan Hearn were pretty upset at how things played out, but the driving standards observer Elliot Barber went over the in-car footage, went over the data and made the decision that it was a racing incident because Paul Manuel moved across in the braking zone.
1: Look, I don't think Elliot wants to look at a video of any in-car footage for about the next month. I think he reviewed that uh, a thousand times. His eyes were definitely hurting by the end of the weekend. So, yeah, reviewed, he pulled over hard from where we were and the camera angles we had. I think the in-car footage very critical in making that decision, and it wasn't taken lightly. We know how long it took to get that. Even in the next day, we weren't sure of the results. So it was coming into the final day of racing, it was still playing out for us. Behind the scenes, hard one. It's it's turn one. Yeah, look, it's a dive down the inside for sure. But you know, we'll leave it up to Elliot. He's he's made a good judgment call, I think. There. What else you got to say about this? Turn one. It's a fast left-hander. You've just done a one point one kilometre straight. You are praying that your brakes have not overheated and you're going to pull the car up. It can go either way. Uh, tim's taken his chance there and it's paid off for him
0: yeah i mean the way i look at it as well was at the point that contact was made tim brooke was more than halfway down the inside of paul Manuel. he was past what you would notionally describe as the b pillar which means that it's your corner and it's not like he was out of control he, he managed to get the car stopped and and turned into the corner so it wasn't like he was using Paul Manuel to slow himself down. So I think the right call was made there by Elliot Barber. The other incident that was a bit controversial was in race number four, which was the second of our driver B sprint races on the opening lap. And it involved Jordan Cox and Tyler Everingham coming together on the approach to turn number five. Everingham got out into the grass and somehow managed to gather up the car. That was one of the saves of the weekend, but then, went on after the race as well, Matty, with uh, a bit of a, a payback tap handed out by Tyler Everingham to Jordan Cox after the chequered flag.
1: Well, I think that flow as you come out of turn one through two, three, four, up to five, the track looks a lot wider than it is and a to 2 car being quite wide. We, we struggled to fit two cars on there with a lot of racing room there and there was some contact made. Uh, obviously, Everingham didn't come off the best there between himself and Cox, so yeah, a bit of frustration, I think, showing. Probably the heat didn't help. You've been in the car, you're hot. It's been a big weekend. Hadn't all gone Rice and Everingham's way all weekend either. So yeah, he comes around. Jordan Cox spins the car out after the chequered flag coming out of turn number one, uh, rejoins onto the racetrack and Everingham slows down, gets behind him and uh, just gives him a little days of thunder. Hello, rubbing his racing and uh, yeah, a bit of contact made there as well. So yeah. Again, Elliot was very busy that afternoon. And surprisingly in that race too, Jordan Cox got a penalty at the start of the race uh, for an infringement on the start of where he was actually boxed up. So uh, he copped himself a couple of penalties out of that race, which pushed him back a little bit because he was dominant again.
0: Yeah, indeed it was. And uh, that ultimately handed... Another race victory to Tim Brooks. So I'm looking ahead to the next round at Queensland Raceway. Everybody gets back into their own cars. Again, no sharing cars with anybody at, at QR. Last year Jet Johnson won the round, but Josh Haynes was very, very quick. Probably should have finished on the podium if he hadn't had a mechanical problem in one of the races. Brad Gartner was very quick at QR as well, and Graham Cheney was the other one who was right up there too. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see who the the main contenders are at Queensland Raceway, but the championship is well and truly alive, and uh, it's very unpredictable. There's still at least half a dozen drivers that you could see as potentially winning the title.
1: Well, Josh Haynes was the PWR Pole Award winner too at Hidden Valley. So whatever they've done, their crew, they have that car sorted. It is super quick in qualifying they showed some big race pace i mean he was chasing down nathan hearn all weekend who we know has gone to america and had some fantastic results so for josh haynes to be right on the back of his car and them to changing positions a couple of times throughout the racing too a lot of confidence i think coming into queensland raceway for josh uh didn't quite pay off for them with some issues there and obviously getting caught up in a few things and the and the temperatures with the car but um look i think Watch out for him in Queensland Raceway. Jackson Rice, again, can do really well. We know that car's been uh, very reliable and he's been super quick. And you've just got to look at where he's sitting in the championship. He's had some wins there. Round one really paid off for him. Unfortunately, that incident on the final uh, turn there and and gets a penalty, ends up second in the championship. But um, had a good showing here in Darwin as well. Uh, Very consistent. So Josh Haynes a little bit up and down at the moment, but definitely has the speed
0: there. And Lee Stibbs and Brad Gartner, they've probably, you'd have to say, Lee Stibbs, it started well for him at Winton this season, but Hidden Valley was a pretty severe setback to his chances. And Brad Gartner as well, been a pretty tough start to the year for a driver that we expected to be one of the title contenders. So the two MVA racing teammates, they will be looking for a strong showing at QR to launch themselves back into title contention. Let's move on, though, because we had four other categories on the program, in fact, five if you you count the the NT Drift series that uh, you so enthusiastically enjoyed commentating over the weekend, Matty, but HQ Holdens, they did lots of racing as well over the weekend. They had the Crocodile Cup Endurance race on the Sunday, which was not covered on our TV or live streaming coverage, but... It was a win for Luke Harrison and Sean Boland, the two New South Wales drivers, but it was a win that they had to work extremely hard for. They had a fast car, but in that race, each team had to make three compulsory pit stops, two pit stops for tyre changes, and then one pit stop for a driver change. For the tyre change pit stops... It was not like they had rattle guns and air jacks and all of the other fancy equipment that you might have in supercars, for example. They had to use an old-fashioned trolley jack and a cross-wheel brace. So there was lots of time to be gained and lost in the tyre changes. And for Luke Harrison and Sean Boland, their tyre changes were a bit slow compared to some of the other teams. So what they were fighting was that they were gaining a lot of time compared to their rivals on the track. And they were losing it in the pits. And to further add insult to injury, they got a drive-through penalty because one of their crew members was not correctly attired in the first compulsory pit stop. So they had to fight their way back to the front, which they managed to do, but then just to throw an extra spanner into the works, when it got late in the race, they found themselves running low on fuel and they had to back right off the pace just to make it home. It was just as well for them that they had a big lead because at the end, they were doing lap times that were five, six, seven seconds slower than the cars that were chasing them down.
1: Well, think about it. They were, on average, doing more than a second a lap faster than everybody else when they were out there at full pace. So they're definitely going through the fuel. And we speak about the 100-minute race that they put on. It was calculated really on a tank of fuel. The idea was not to have to fill the cars up in pit lane. And they spoke about it before the race, where they'd have to flash the lights. And if we saw half the field flashing the lights, it possibly they may have got the calculation wrong, but they didn't. They were obviously just chewing the fuel because they were going fast. And it showed in the pace they had out there. So they managed to bring the car home, which made it exciting for us all sitting there watching it on the sidelines as well, because otherwise it was a one horse race. And they, they scoot away with it and, and they win by, you know, ridiculous amount of time but in the end it brings them back into contention all the people who followed up from that as well so it was great i think i liked the 100 minute race uh the hqs did a fantastic job putting a show on this weekend and look we just need to see more of them out there
0: Mm, agreed i mean there are only 10 cars and to be frank i was a bit concerned going into that endurance race that 10 cars for 100 minutes was not going to be particularly exciting but Fortunately, the guys did manage to put on a a pretty decent show and that continued when we got into the Founders' Cup races on the Monday as well where we had some trophies that were awarded to the best-performing states and again, it was Luke Harrison and Sean Boland who led the way. We saw Darren Jenkins from South Australia and Adam Butler from Western Australia was right up there as well as were Tony Maloney and Rob Braun from Victoria. That race that you and I called on TV on... Monday, Matt, it was an absolute cracker.
1: Oh, weren't they changing positions there? And I mean, it, it's not that it was about Harrison and Boland; They were out in front and and they're fairly dominant, I suppose, in those short races. We saw how much pace they had, but it was the fight for second. There was another fight for fifth position. It just kept going back down the field. And even at the end on the final lap, they were three wide for position number eight across the line so um it just kept coming the hqs just kept giving us fantastic racing over the weekend and it was good to see uh, everybody having someone to race out there it wasn't you know someone just just an open you know 2.9 kilometers at hidden valley raceway we could have seen every car parked up evenly around the track and it would have been probably not as spectacular for the viewers but um no we had Three races within one.
0: The other category, in fact, the, the two other categories that put on some entertaining racing for us were the combined sedans and the Northern Territory XL. So the combined sedans was improved production cars, Commonwealth Cup cars, and we also had the one Australian Super TT championship car of Michael Ricketts. Now, Tim Playford dominated the weekend in his Mazda 808, but the standout driver of for mine was Michael Ricketts. So I think coming into the weekend, we all expected that his Pulsar was going to get blown away by the V8s. He finished third in two of the races and second in the other two outright. He beat all the V8 Commodore Cup cars in every race. I know, and
1: it surprised me coming onto the main straight. If he got it right, he was overtaking him in the first third of that and we saw with some of the Commodores that weren't part of the Commodore Cup, obviously they've only got the 253 in them, like we saw with Johnson and Roddy Jessup out there. They could pull away from him on the straight if they really got to him, but he caught them up through the rest of the track. So he did really well this weekend. I think he was a very smart driver out there. It shows that Pulsar is very set up and there's no surprising it's got a Cox Motorsport sticker on the side. The, the front wheel drive man himself was there racing and helping him out. So... It's a fast car. I think it's going to be quick at every circuit it goes to. I was concerned about that straight. Uh, Take that away. Queensland Raceway, my my money's on him if you want to go in the under two litre class.
0: Yeah, and he's committed to doing the full Australian Super TT Championship, Michael Ricketts. So we'll look forward to seeing him back on track throughout the rest of the year. Good on him and his wife for making the road trip all the way up to Darwin for the weekend. And then another driver who made the trip all the way up to Darwin was Liam Hall from Victoria. So he went up with his Hyundai XL and drove really well over the weekend. He took the fight right up to the local boy Zach Hannon, who normally doesn't have a lot of opposition in the XLs in Darwin. Normally he's the the dominant driver. So it was good to see Liam Hall there dicing with Zach Hannon for the race lead throughout the weekend and Again, Zach Hannon, he won all four races, but I'll tell you what, Liam Hall certainly made him work for it.
1: And then we had a little battle going on in the background there, Tyson Matiaso and Lachlan Son. They were another one who were battling it out for third position throughout the entire weekend in every race as well. Another name that we're used to seeing in the Toyota 86s, it was, had an unfortunate DNF there and started off the rear of the field. There was Rossi Johnson in the final race. Now, he is super quick no matter what he drives, and in the final race he ended up in fifth position, um, probably would like to see him up the front a bit more, like we say, unfortunately, that DNF. And I was actually had my fingers crossed maybe get a ride in a TO2 car because he's another young talent that's based up in the Northern Territory, lives up there,
0: and it was great to see him be part of a national series. And he's going to be back in the Toyota 86 series again this year as well, Rossi Johnson. So, yes, uh, another very talented Northern Territory driver following in the footsteps of Bryce Ford, who is, of course, full time in the supercars. So we turn our attention to the next round at Queensland Raceway. It's going to be combined with the Days of Thunder Race meeting. TA2 is back on the program. In fact, you describe Queensland Raceway as the spiritual home of TA2 because that's where it all started with Peter Robinson when he imported the first cars back in 2015. But other categories on the program, we've got some great local Queensland categories, including the Queensland Production Cars, the Queensland Touring Car Championship, Replica Tourers, Queensland Trans Am, which is for the older model Trans Am cars, and it's also going to be the first round for the new Hyundai XL National Series, and by all reports, it's going to be a massive field for that series as well, with some of the best XL drivers from all over Australia to battle it out across three rounds for the national title.
1: Look, it's going to be winter. It's not going to be as hot as Dharma. It's definitely going to be warmer than we see down further down the East Coast, so I think it's going to be a great venue. It always puts on good racing, 45 minutes to the west of Brisbane, so it's not a long way for people to go out and enjoy circuit racing as well. It's a good track, I think, visually, so everyone can see it. Obviously, you can set yourself up around the track. It's going to be some good racing. There's going to be lots of cars, I think, especially the Australian uh, start of the Excel Championship. That's going to be massive on the East Coast. Because we've seen how many we get at a Victorian Championship or a New South Wales Championship or a Queensland Championship. Combine that, I think, with the accessibility of travel. That is going to be massive.
0: It's going to be huge. So that's coming up, that Queensland Raceway Round on the 3rd and 4th of June. So if you're in Queensland, make sure you get yourself trackside. Otherwise, as with all of the high-tech oil super-series rounds this year, you can tune in on Fox Sports, KO and SBS, all right, time for the double ASA driver who aced it over the weekend at Hidden Valley. Matt, who was your driver who aced it on the weekend?
1: Oh, it's it's hard. Um, I'm going to put a shout out to the Coulters. Unfortunately, we didn't see them in the final race after an incident where they damaged the front left, and that car had to get towed off the track. Uh, but they had in our first endurance race, race number three on Sunday afternoon, 24 lappers. They ended up fourth. And that was just some lucky pit stop strategy there with them and some good hard racing. So they're right up there, but I have to give it to Jordan Cox for me. Yeah, there was some penalties there, and he probably missed out on some race wins. Unfortunately, we saw uh, his co-driver, Crutcher get taken, well, get in an incident uh, on the restart there, which caused them not to finish that race. That was very unfortunate for them. But I've got to give it to Jordan Cox just to see how quick he was once he got out in front, how he worked through the field, and he's got to be my double ASA driver who aced it. At Hidden Valley Raceway.
0: He may not have come away with the round win, but one thing he did come away with was the lap record for the TA2 cars at Hidden Valley. So good choice there, Matty. I think the way that he adapted to the, the TA2 cars was very impressive. My double ASA driver who aced it is Michael Ricketts. So I just think that not only the results that he got over the weekend, but the fact that he made the trek all the way up to Darwin, dragging his wife along in the process and driving up there from young in regional New South Wales in convoy with Ian McAllister and his wife. I think it's, it's in the spirit of what the high tech oil super series is all about. And he grabbed a big bundle of points for the Australian super TT championship. He now leads that championship as well, Michael Ricketts. So, he gets an A-plus for effort, and uh, he definitely iced it on the weekend.
1: Look, we have to have a shout-out to all the teams that travelled up there because we know that when we when travel down the East Coast, we're probably a little bit gifted. You can do it in a day or two. It's it's re- I'm going to say reasonably close for racing. A lot of the time, you don't really go up there to in, to enjoy yourself and have a holiday. you you just get to the racetrack, you race and you go home and you get back on with life. But I think Darn, we saw a few of the teams, like you say, they went up there in convoy, they did the tourist things while they were up there. Guys went out, went out on jet ski adventures, they went fishing, Um, they just really soaked in all the atmosphere especially down at Beach Market so I think a big shout out to all the teams that made the trek up there, they made the most of it and I think they enjoyed a bit of the hospitality that Darwin has to offer.
0: So that is a wrap for round number two of the High Tech Oil Super Series, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Check and Flag Chat which has been proudly brought to you by the AASA looking forward to the next round of the High Tech Oil Super Series Clean Raceway, on behalf of Matt Kavanagh and Stephen White I'm Wachie Mansell. Thanks for listening. See you next time.